Welcome to Everyday Strong, the podcast that teaches parents, teachers, and other caring adults how their everyday loving actions can help their teens cope with anxiety and depression. And now, here's our host, United Way of Utah County's Program Director, Michael Ann Gardner. Hey everyone, it's Michael Ann. Today I'm talking with one of the most insightful people I know, licensed clinical social worker, Jay Snyder, about a question that I get a lot from parents. And if you've had this concern too, you should know that you are not alone. The question that we have today is about technology use. So I think for a long time, we've many of us have felt very concerned about the ways that our kids use technology. Is it enough? Is it too much? But especially during the pandemic, we found ourselves often maybe being more permissive than we would have during other more precedented times. Whether that was because kids just had to use their screens more for schoolwork, or because that was their only way of socializing, or if it was just our own, like, we gotta cope somehow, here's a screen kid, I've gotta be on this Zoom call for work for the next three hours, just please don't bother me. Whatever the reasoning was, many of us feel like our kids started to use their screens more than we wanted and so we've had these questions about is this too much how do we sort of undo whatever habits we formed during the last year and i'm very excited for the perspective that jay offers on this exact topic because there really is not going to be a one-size-fits-all and so i hope that in this conversation we can give you some principles to think about and especially how the connection that you have with your child is the most important thing in being able to make meaningful decisions and figure out what's gonna be best for your kid and your family. The first question that I have is, um, I wanna hear about the kids in, in your life, like, if, like your own kids or like neighbor kids, extended family, how do you usually approach the quote unquote technology question with them? Yeah. Well, um, my own kids, who my own kids, here we are. Um, the approach that I have taken is to be, uh, a partner with them for learning. Uh, so I, have waited until I couldn't wait any longer. The demand was too much, you know, dad, I need a, I need a cell phone. And I put it off, put it off for as long as I did until, uh, a, they wouldn't take that for an answer. I felt, you know, like, uh, like it, it started to be like, I don't trust them. That yeah. seemed to be the message. And then number two, um, until I felt like they were emotionally and mentally more capable to navigate what that phone can be. So, so I partner with them and I just, I, you know, I'm not, I don't live in a world where they aren't going to be accessing technology. I try to help them to work with it. So. My kids are on it more than I, I would like to, but I also consider that to be part of the learning experience, part of the reflection process. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love this word partner because I do sometimes um, experience some people giving, like, uh, encouraging very top-down instructions. And I do think developmental psychology tells us that there's something really great about having, like, um, I don't know, like, this, just the reliability of mom or dad, you know, really being, like, in control, right? I think that sort of sense of, like, I'm not going to spin out of control is, is probably good. Um, but I do like that word partner a lot. Um, I, w- I would love to, if you're comfortable, to hear more about, like, what does that look like concretely? Yeah, concretely. It's, uh, it, it, it really is the framework that we relate. And I have my power and they each have their power. And really about just understanding our own power and how to use that power. So, so how do we, how do we partner? It's, I'm a liver of life. You are too. This is the world I live in and I'm trying to navigate it. I'm learning and growing. And so are you. And, uh, these are areas that I feel like I have done well. I can help teach you. I can help guide you in these areas. And in some of my other areas, you well, you, you very well see uh, the areas that I myself am, am challenged and mm-hmm. struggling times and, you know, it's, it's just living, it's not performing. Yeah. That, that sounds like a, like a very vulnerable way to, to do it. And one thing you, you mentioned to me before, and I, I think this is just so great is like, you know, so many parents are like, these kids won't get off their phones as they themselves are just like frantically scrolling and checking their email. Right. Yeah. And, and I think this is a great way to help our kids feel safe. Um, I, I, I cannot get over this conversation I had with this little 12 year old one time. Um, I was teaching a church youth group and I was teaching them about safety, connection, confidence. And she came up to me afterwards and she was like, I have been using my phone to like 11 o'clock midnight, every night, one o'clock in the morning. Like, I know it's not good for my sleep. I don't want to be doing this, but I know that if I tell my mom or dad, they're going to yell at me. <laughs> Um, and it just like broke my heart that she, she wanted to be vulnerable with her parents, but she didn't feel, she didn't feel safe. I don't think her parents were going to do anything to her. Right. But she just didn't want to get in trouble. And it seems to me that if a parent can model sort of the ways in which they don't necessarily have it all figured out, you might open the door for that dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Who does have it all figured out? I mean, (laughs) right, right. So here I am, a therapist, you know, and I, and I uh, but when I work with, with anybody, whether it's kids or, or expert in the room, they are. And I'm helping them to find their own answers and helping them to realize that they are learning and growing um, just as I am. And so, you know, we partner. Yeah, I love that. Um, so maybe let's talk a little bit more specifically about, about the pandemic. You know, I think all of us found us using our devices a lot more than maybe we would when it's not the pandemic. And not, we didn't use it just for work or for school, but like to get our basic needs met, right? For for connection, for socializing, um, <laughs> for physical needs, like DoorDash, right? <laughs> like I am yeah, yeah. so much DoorDash. There you go. Um. And, and I have, this is like a leading question. I already can guess that you would, you would say, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like, 
should we be feeling guilty about how our screen time has increased? And like, like why, why, are, why or why not should we be feeling guilty about this increased screen time? Ah, uh, Michael Ann. Yes, you can probably <laughs> tell what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Should we feel guilty? Yeah. Uh, no, no, don't feel guilty. <laughs> so, I mean, the should, first of all, that's mm-hmm. the, the operative word here. Whose should is that? Yeah. So um, will I try to make you feel guilty? No. So who should is that? And then feeling guilty. My goodness, we're just trying to survive something that hit us. A once in a lifetime thing. So mm-hmm. uh, we're all just doing the best we could. What was the function of it? How did it serve us? And then mm-hmm. what is it? You know, what holes does it leave us when we try to transition? Or what do we want to hold on to? What pieces after the pandemic? I would say that's interesting. Like what, like when you say like what pieces do we want to hold on to? Can you speak into that a little more? What you mean by that? Uh, yeah. I mean, so I don't know. This is kind of broader. I mean, in my opinion, if I step back, everything is technology, first of all. Uh, you know, everything. Look around. Mm-hmm. Everything is technology. Everything was once new technology. And all of this technology is meant to enhance our living. Um, so here we are, we're finding ourselves using screens and phones and programs. And I mean, a lot of it's just really interesting. They're tools, you know, they're tools for connection, tools for information delivery. And to the extent that they were created and to the extent that they were used means that they were serving a function, they were filling a need. Who's to say that they no longer serve that need? I don't think the issue is really technology. We Mm -hmm. would get more specific as to saying, uh, what are we using and why are we using it? And then we would base our decisions off of, do we want to continue using it? I've heard several parents talk about like their children had to get specialized glasses because of just like, like the screen time. And and I don't doubt that actually I've had that same issue where my eyes have gotten enormously dried out and I had to um, like, I had to go buy a humidifier because of, I just was, I've been staring at screen so much more than normal. And so I don't mean to discount anyone's like real lived physical problems that their child might be experiencing. But I have, you know, like a close friend in Washington who I never talked to before the pandemic. And now because Zoom socializing is so much more common, um, you know, we've built this relationship now and I would hate, I would hate to lose that. Is that, are those kind of examples of what you mean about thinking concretely? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Keep going. If you want me to yeah. If you want me to give an example more of it, but I mean, we're not going to give up this form of technology. Are we yeah. going to use it to this level? Uh, probably not, but that's yeah. an individual assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, so concrete, I would ask, um, how do you, th- how has this experience been for you using uh, your phone as much? How has this experience been using Zoom as much? How has this experience mm-hmm. been using the Xbox? You know, and then that's concretely because now we're getting into a discussion. And yeah. instead of telling you, I get to learn about you. I get to learn what your experience was. How did this serve you? How did it not serve you? What do you want? What did you not want? And how can I help you? I, I love that. I love that. 
because I think another fear that I have heard vocalized is um, whether you want to call it addiction, habituation. There's lots of words that people use um, around technology. And I think some people have fears that their kids will be so habituated to this way of living our lives that they won't want to stop using the Xbox. So they won't want to stop staring at their screens. But I love um, your way of framing this as like, what questions can you ask about what's what their experience has been? That seems to open the door for connection rather than disconnection from the parent or other adult. Definitely. And I think that you brought up the key point here, which is that we have fears. And I mean, that's a whole hour of Jay talking in and of it by itself. I mean, the amount of fear or fears that a parent has, there's no shortage of that. So when we queue up what we have, what we see and what we have seen, uh, yeah, there's layer upon layer of fears there. Yeah. Which which is a vulnerable place to be. And as long as we as parents can acknowledge that we do have it, then we become more safe, mm-hmm. emotionally safe, because now we're working in uh, with our own fear. We can recognize what it is. And if we don't try to dominate or over, uh, if, if we acknowledge that we are, hey, kid, this is my fear. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like that becomes a normalized thing. Oh, you have fear? Yeah, I do. This is what I'm afraid of. Yeah. And I become vulnerable. Let's talk about my vulnerability. And I've just now allowed you to speak about your fears with me or talk talk to me about my fears. And how can we address those instead of the problem being with the child? Yeah, yeah. I think Does that make sense? I think that's lovely. And I think that also goes back to the important role of a parent because you know, like, let's be honest, like a child's ability to, like, they call it executive functioning, you know, that ability to make decisions and make plans isn't fully formed till you're 25. And so it is probably good to have mom or dad help a 13, 14, 20 year old make some decisions around technology. But I love framing it in that sense of like, um, both sort of externalizing the issue, like there's not something wrong with you because you're on video games all day. But it's more just like, I see this thing happening and this is how it makes me feel how do you feel that's that's sort of what i'm hearing you say is that an accurate sum of the summary oh yeah definitely yeah, yeah. because uh, i mean my age right we we were uh, the atari and uh, as captivating <laughs> as those games were i look at these games that, that you know my kids are playing and i'm like wow look at all the amazing elements that are within that it's not just this one-dimensional pong game so I don't know that there is something wrong with our kid for being engaged in something that was designed to be so sensory uh, mm-hmm. satisfying. And so, no, now I play upon my fears of, okay, how far is too far? Uh, how long is too long? Um, you get on the mic, you know, that's a whole nother landscape. I have a multitude of fears there. And let's, let's work with my fears and helping you navigate this thing. Yeah. Well, I think it also opens up the dialogue to also learn um, because, I mean, I've, I've already experienced this at 33. Like I have people on my team who will teach me things about Instagram and TikTok and I'm like, I do not know what you're talking about, right? And it's a weird sensation yeah. to realize within just seven to 10 years, it's already changed so much. 
And there's no way that I can educate myself enough as a caring adult to know every little thing. And so if I make it so that they will tell me about, oh, like, did you know that like, this is how this works? And I can like connect with other people on this game in this way. And, and that give, having them give us the information, I think opens the door for connection, but also helps us know what we need to know to, to keep them safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and actually it becomes, it can become a source of connection instead of yeah. disconnection, as you say. I mean, what we could turn this whole thing out of a power struggle and conflict can actually bring us together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm, I'm curious for a moment to, to shift this a little bit. So we've been talking a lot, sort of like the parent role. That's how I started this conversation is like in your role as a parent, but you also work in, in schools and with teachers. Um, this is a little bit trickier. I haven't heard as many teachers sort of voice their fears around this, but um, what should teachers be thinking about as we go and, you know, so this, this episode will be coming out summer 2021. So we're thinking about next school year and sort of just all of the different spaces kids have been in for the past year and a half, like hybrid learning, online learning, homeschool. Um, like what is like, like how does technology, the shift back into maybe full-time live classrooms, like, like what is that going to be like, do you think for teachers? I think it asks us to reimagine education period, you know, because it's anything I want to learn, anything I want to know in regards to facts, I can just Google. I can find it online. Mm-hmm. What I can't, there are certain things I, I, that I have a harder time searching for, and that's showing me how to critically think, how to put things together, how to connect the dots. Um, and I think the, that's the invitation that, that, we can, that we can do. So it's not discarding technology, it's using it. It's, it's what do we need to focus on? And where can we, you know, it's almost like, where can we go? What are the opportunities here? Instead yeah. of fighting it, how do we work with it and, and navigate that? So I like to, you know, in working with some of the work that, that we are doing in our schools, it's kind of helping teachers to not just be the teachers, but to be the learning professionals Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so they they know the many resources and how kids learn best and they know the kids and and they help them gather the resources and help them with the psychology of learning so um you might have kind of heard the skepticism in my voice about you know like are we really you know quote unquote addicted to technology um i think there's just some some things i still have to kind of answer from a research standpoint about what that means um, but we, we, we do know that like kids are, are using it and relying on it. I, I know even to speak from personal experience, there are ways in which I use, you know, scrolling or whatever to sort of alleviate my own anxiety. And I'm wondering if there are things that teachers in the classroom can be doing to help kids, um, find this really wonderful middle ground where technology is a tool and not, um, and not something that kids are, are reliant on in ways that, that don't serve them. 
So we'd have to get, we'd have to use context, I think. Sure. So when we say technology, what do we mean? Do we mean a phone? Yeah. Do we, do we mean an iPad? I mean, what, or do we mean a, a computer program? Are, are, are we addicted? Yeah. We can't escape technology. Yeah. Tell me one thing that is not technology. So if we're saying screens or we're saying computers, and then what, what age group are we saying? Where I hear this coming up the most um, is probably in that teenage range, um, specifically with their phones, right? Um, like teenagers who just can't seem to put it away when they should be doing their homework or teenagers who just can't seem to put it away in between in between classes. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I watch I watch adults do this, checking their phones between meetings. Right. Um, but like, let, let's let's use it as an example, I guess, if we're going to pick a range sort of that, you know, 13 to 17 range and, and cell phones in particular. Yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, here's where I could just I, I agree with you. So um, the adults just in the meeting thing, I'm just going to say this. Yeah. Um, without calling anybody else out, I'll call myself out mm-hmm. um, when my kid says, hey, dad. We're talking. Can you set down the phone? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or I'll wait till you set down the phone before I continue talking. Like yeah. when I hear him say this and he's a teenager, I think, oh, that is so awesome. And it's a reminder to me, like I am the example, how um, using the word addicted to to my phone am I and for mm-hmm. what reasons. Yeah. So, So if we're talking about a teenager, then I think... Well, their phone is a multi-tool, probably one of the most important tools they have in their life. It's Spotify. So it's their music, it's their texting, it's their maps, it's their phone, it's their calculator, it's their internet, it's their, you know. So which part of the phone are we talking about? We're talking about social media. We're talking about their pictures. I mean, so... Again, it's so broad yeah. that we can we can really dial in and understand what specifically. Then we get into that they should be doing their homework. They should not have it mm-hmm. out. Well, that's our should on them, um, which is the bigger battle. Mm. If to me, that's the bigger battle. A lot of which what I what I address within the schools. First of all, how interested are you in this class? How interested are you in this assignment? How is your relationship with this teacher? How engaged are you? And so that's a different experience of I'm walking through the halls versus I'm in the class. Yeah. There's a lot there. Well, and I think this what what that makes you think of what I think is so interesting about the way you chose to answer that is it makes you think of the the underlying foundation of everyday strong which is that if our child is not doing our child or teenager whatever right is not doing some behavior that we want them to do if they're not self-actualized um it's because some underlying need is not met and that we can trust we can get out of our should we can trust that when a child's needs for physical needs safety connection confidence, competence are met, then they, then they will do the thing that, that is good for them. Um, and I think not a lot of us are, are thinking about it that way, but that is what I heard you just say is that, um, 
you know, like rather than asking ourselves, like, why can't this child stop looking at their phone? Why can't this child stop, uh, you know, like, uh, like texting their friends constantly? Uh, why can't this, why can't my child come to the dinner table? You know, ask yourself, like, in what ways are they needing more safety to talk about their feelings about why they're not? In what ways do they feel disconnected? Um, I think even like what skills have I not taught them about, you know, how to interact with other people with their devices? If I come at you, mm-hmm. why can't you put this phone down? Yeah. Already, already, this is not a safe situation. We are not connected. Yeah. You're going to put your defenses up yeah. versus I have my should. I, I think you should put down the phone. What's mm-hmm. your should? You know, mm-hmm. then I understand what your should is, my should, and how can we work together to understand each other and understand uh, what what is our shared, what what can be our shared experience here. Yeah, I love that. I think it brings us all the way back to how we started, which is how do we partner or collaborate is a word I like as well. Um, yeah, that's really good. So one thing I, I do want to touch on. Um, as we close out this conversation, you know, when we, when we do observe our kids and let's say it's either their cell phone or their video games, any kind of personal device, um, and, and you are observing like, okay, this is maybe like hour four or six or whatever your, your personal limit is, is maybe a little bit too long, or I'm, I am a little worried about the, the way that you're using this. Um, tell me how you start that conversation with kids or ways that you've heard that are effective to start that conversation? Sure. Well, one of the options is for me to just react in the moment. Um, and just, it runs away with my fear, uh, runs away with my should. And I would not suggest that option. Mm -hmm. So I would go to option B, which is to notice that and to say, all right, what am I afraid of? And how would I like this thing to go? So if I can take that extra second to just check in with myself and to calm my own jets, then it's going to frame my interaction so much better uh, and more in line with how I really would like it to be. So if I can do that, take that extra second, go within before addressing, and then I'll say, you know, this (laughs) is not working for me. I think this this is this is not working for me. We need to we need to wrap this thing up. And then in what reality is any kid going to go, "Okay, yep, right now." <laughs> so I'm sure lots of us have tried, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So we already know that we're probably going to get, "Okay, let me just finish this." Or, "Hey, can I just I have 5 more minutes?" Or, mm-hmm. you know. So if I already know and and then is that reasonable? How, how often uh, can I just switch on something on a dime upon the first request of somebody else? No, yeah. I need to finish what I'm doing. Let me wrap something up. And um, so if, if that request is somewhat reasonable, then I will say, yep, that works for me or, or you know, give a counteroffer. Nope, 20 minutes is still too long. Let's, can you do it in 10? Yeah. Ah, you know, and then maybe we settle on 15. Okay. Hey, listen, on 15 minutes. And then, hey, one more thing is after that, I do want to have a quick conversation about the usage. Mm -hmm. This is not about being in trouble. It's just about being in balance. Yeah. Yeah. 
one thing that I absolutely love that you just said is um, the bit about uh, <laughs> knowing in advance what the reaction is going to be. <laughs> because like, you know, if your child has literally never before just with a smile on their face said, okay, and like gone off, like, why will this time be any different? <laughs> and so to plan your own internal reaction, you know, going in with that knowledge, I think can help you can help you stay really, really calm. And I, and I love that way that you have of, this is about sort of my needs and your needs. I don't know. I think there's just a lot of, a lot of um, realism there. You're not trying to um, imagine the situation going more magically and, and pleasantly than, than you've ever experienced it in the past. Jay, thank you so much for spending this time with me today to talk about um, technology and our kids and how we can meet their needs. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Michael Ann. Thank you so much. If this episode resonated with you, you can check out our free resilience handbooks and online learning at www.everydaystrong.org. These tools tell you exactly what you can do to help the kids in your life feel safe, connected, and confident. You can choose to create a relationship with your children that will help them to learn to be resilient, regardless of the challenges life throws their way.